It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? I know you've probably just been sitting in the waiting room being like, where are these guys? First, it was starting at 9.05 and then at 9.10 and then 9.35. We, we get pushed pushing these back as, as we have uh, press availability and we're, we're doing press conferences and we're transcribing and you know getting ready to write all of our stories for the night. And uh, I know you've been waiting for us and we appreciate it. This is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast live on this Saturday night, the only Saturday of the regular season uh, for the Buffalo Bills who clinched the AFC East. I don't know if you heard about it, Ryan, but the Bills (laughs) have won the AFC East after a convincing, dominant, absolutely crushing 48-19 win over the Denver Broncos. And, you know, this is the Shout Bills football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Always got to mention that, Ryan. But, man, this we we were talking about it before we went live here. This team might be pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I would say so. And, you know, if this is how the Bills play on Saturdays, maybe we should have that wild card game on a Saturday. Uh, if this is any kind of foreshadowing, the Bills could do whatever they wanted. And offensively, obviously not surprised based on the cornerback uh, depth issues that the Broncos had. But defensively, I, I mean, they frazzled Drew Locke. Locke only completed five passes to his wide receivers today. Five. They were all over the field. The, the defense was outstanding. So, they're they're peaking at the right time, offense and defense in terms of their trajectory. So th- this is an exciting time to be a Bills fan. Uh, I'm sure I, I, we're glad you're with us, as I'm sure you've been uh, going to different sites, buying all this different merchandise for the Bills, AFC's champs. So uh, glad you are with us here tonight. Well, this is going to be your show tonight, guys. It's it's a celebration. I mean, two and a half decades that this city and that this fran- this fan base and franchise has waited you know, for a winner. And what's so special about what's happened with this year and this team is it's not just a, um, a team that's backing into the playoffs or even a division winner in a year where maybe it's a down year for the division. You can make that argument. I know that the Miami dolphins aren't, aren't, aren't some, um, you know, world beater and the Patriots are obviously rebuilding now are going to, they're going to have to, but this is a dominant bills football team. That's been tested throughout the course of the season with big game after big game after big game. And Josh Allen came out today and was asked, you know, when did you realize that this was different, that this was, you know, a a team with, um, as he was quoted as saying real dudes, um, he went back to this, to the the game against the Rams when they went up 28 to three. And then before you know it, a couple turnovers, uh, the Rams offense got started. It ended up being 31-28 late, and the Bills had to go on a fourth-quarter comeback drive. And he said he looked around and saw guys making plays on third down and longs. And that's when he knew that this was just a little bit different. And he said he knew, you know, going back to you know training camp and even in the summer, the talent level there. But that guys are started that, you know, that they've built this thing up to a certain point, and it's at a level now where everywhere you look on this offense, you saw it tonight. They have playmakers. I mean, it, 
they they tied the NFL record. It's been done seven times before where 13 players have caught a touchdown pass for a, a team in a season. Well, the Bills have now done that. They're at 13 with two games left. You see in Ryan Bates running out for, for passes, Ty and Secchi running out for passes. They're looking to get that number 14 and, and maybe capture some NFL history, Ryan. But th- this offense is you know, arguably the best in the league. And you put out a post, uh, you know, some reaction story. And it was Adam Shane from CBS sports that said, I'm looking forward to the chiefs and the bills, the super bowl or in the AFC title game. And if that's not the game, I, I think everybody would be disappointed at this stage. Yeah. R- right now, you know, before the season, maybe you were saying, okay, AFC's title, get into the playoffs. I'm happy with that. That should no longer be the expectation. They, they put the little check next to the AFC's champions, but now, if they don't win at least one playoff game, it's a disappointment. If they don't get the AFC title game, I think it's kind of a disappointment. We saw how they fared against Pittsburgh, the current number two seed in the AFC. They handled Pittsburgh in that game. Their loss against the Chiefs was earlier in the year, bad weather. Uh, it was coming off of a weird time period where the Bills' previous game was pushed back. So they really haven't played bad football in quite some time. They had the the fluky loss to the uh, Cardinals on a Hail Mary, but this is a team that's won seven of their last eight games. They're playing great football on offense. They've been playing great football on offense. The defense has really closed the gap. Uh, you know, run defense has been a lot more impressive. I know that uh, the Broncos had two scores on the ground today, but, you know, let's let's be honest. One of them came pretty late in the game when the game was already out of hand. Um, I already mentioned the secondary and how they were limiting the wide receivers today. So they're playing great special teams. Yes. Uh, Roberts had that mistake today, but he's been solid. He, he did kind of make up for it with a 53 yard return. Tyler Bass real quick. Uh, I know we had, there were some fans that wanted him out of town early this year, you know, or they were nervous about him at, at the very least. You saw him settle in earlier this year, a few weeks ago, and he's been clutch. He's been solid. You know, and then you saw on the other side, Russellino, who was ca- called up into action, obviously, because their kicker uh, was on the COVID reserve list. But that kind of just shows you the difference between having a reliable guy and having someone that you have to hope can kick for you in a game. So the Bills even have a great kicker now. And, and Corey Bohorquez, when he's not over on the sidelines and he gets into the game, he's been un- uncorking some great punts as well. So all three phases, this team is clicking. So I, I tweeted it out. This is your show tonight. You drop questions, comments in the comments section. We will talk about anything that you guys want us to talk about tonight. Cause you know, this was a pretty picture perfect game. You mentioned, you know, some of the, you know, struggles, if you want to call them that against the run. Well, that other touchdown was on a short field after the Andre Roberts um, uh, fumble. And, you know, this defense was superb tonight. I mean, if you look at, you know, through all four quarters, and obviously they had the late touchdown drive with the game already kind of out of hand with the bills already, you know, in the forties on offense, um, they held, you know, really the Denver offense to under 200 yards. And if not for that short field, who knows how many points they end up scoring. This was, you know, a complimentary football game, um, dominant effort by all, you know, three, you know, three areas of the, of the football team. I would say special teams, obviously the, the Andre Roberts play is, you know, you, you never want to see turnovers on special teams, especially when your offense and defense are playing that well. Um, but I think overall, you take into account what the Bills did, you know, and where they did it. 
you know, wh what stage of the season the pressure was on to go out to Denver against Vic Fangio's defense. And we all know, you know, Sean McDermott talked about him earlier this week, that he's a guy that over the course of his coaching career, he's reached out to Vic Fangio for advice and, and to pick his brain on how he schemes defenses. And there's a lot of respect for him and what he's been able to do to not only young quarterbacks, but experienced quarterbacks over the years. I and mean, you look at some of those Chicago Bears defenses that just were absolutely unbelievable against some of the best quarterbacks in the league. So this was a test, the third straight week of a test. You go back two weeks ago on Monday Night Football against the San Francisco 49ers and Richard Sermon returning, what they did to Jared Goff and the Rams the week before. And Josh Allen goes out and has a four-touchdown performance last week against the vaunted Pittsburgh Steelers defense, you know, blitzing, amazing secondary. I know they were missing some pieces. This is a weird year. At this time of year, every year, there's 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 teams missing pieces. It's a physical game. There's injuries. He goes out there on Sunday night football, you know, and dominates the Pittsburgh Steelers in the second half. I mean, a, another signature performance. And then in this game, with there being pressure and expectation, he goes out there, Josh Allen delivers a 500-plus yard performance for this offense in this game. He throws for 350, two touchdowns passing, two touchdowns rushing, 39 touchdowns now total for the season. That's an that's a franchise record. The previous record was 34 by Jim Kelly. You know, I think it was John Scott. We had him on the show on Wednesday. He tweeted out a comparison to Lamar Jackson stats. And it's it's looking as long as Josh Allen plays in the next two games, and it looks like he will play in those games. Cause I know some fans are thinking, oh, the, the division's lined up. We don't have to, maybe we won't see the starters against Miami. You will, because I think there's going to be positional, you know, uh, implications in that game. Josh Allen has placed himself in the MVP conversation. I would expect, depending on what happens tonight with Aaron Rodgers and, and Patrick Mahomes tomorrow, I'll expect his odds to improve after a, yet another game where he went out and, and dominated. Yeah, someone in the comments here said, uh, how much should Allen be in the real consideration for MVP? 100% he should be in the real conversation for MVP. Uh, you look at those other teams, you look at the Chiefs, and, and yeah, you know, we know how good Mahomes is. He's won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs. We know how good Aaron Rodgers is, and he's won a Super Bowl with that team. He, both have, have led their teams deep into the playoffs. Uh, but but this Bills team, you know, yeah, they were the favorites to win the East, but I think they've exceeded all expectations this year, and it's been because of Josh Allen's development. Josh Allen has the Bills on the cusp of possibly being the number two seed in the AFC, depending on what happens over these last few weeks. And like you just said, they're going to be playing these last two games against the Patriots and against the Dolphins. Right now, Pittsburgh's a little bit vulnerable. They've lost two in a row to Washington and to the Bills. So Buffalo is sitting there thinking, hey, if they, they lose one more, we can slide into that number two seed. Now, would that be a great spot for them? Who knows? Because we don't know how the playoff seeding is going to end up between now and the end of the year, but it could be against a number seven team like Baltimore. It could be against the Miami Dolphins for a possible third time this season. Uh, but the Bills are going to be going for the best seeding possible at the end of the day. So they're going to be going. And, and you know, from a uh, from from our perspective, Matt, from our side of it, you know, covering this team, I can honestly say that this is the first year where the Bills get pinned inside around the five-yard line or at the five-yard line. I sat there and I said, they're going to put together a 95-yard drive right here and score a touchdown. Like, there was no doubt in my mind. And whether it was when we were both younger and fans, you know, since the Jim Kelly days at least, I can't remember the time that I was sitting here so confident saying, yeah, they're just going to march this ball. I mean, great punt, great job pitting the Bills, but there was no doubt in my mind that the Bills are going to march right down that field. And, and sure enough, they did. 
Uh, I saw in the comments here as well, and you know, welcome in uh, as people are kind of funneling into the show here. We're live uh, at about 9.30 for the Shout Bills football podcast, brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store. With more, I was over at Tops actually uh, this evening to get myself ready for uh, game night. Got some, got some goodies. I think I got some Chips Ahoy. Listen, here's the thing. You know, I try to keep it as healthy as possible, Ryan, but, you know, as we get later on in the season and we're working all these primetime games, sometimes I need a snack and I, and I, I got I got the chips Ahoy, get a stack of them, get a big glass of milk, just start dunking them and going to town. That's my kind of my guilty pleasure. But you know, we got a football game that to dive into. There's a lot of performances here tonight that I think stood out, but also I saw in the comments asking for injury updates because, you know, Stefan Diggs looked like he was digged up a little bit in this game. Tredavious White came out where, you know, they, they go to commercial and it's, it's almost like everybody's kind of sitting on their hands. Like, Oh my gosh. Um, It looks like uh, we talked to Tredavious White afterwards. Stefan Diggs was not made available and Tredavious White said treatment tomorrow, kind of get, get, get get in the trainer's room, work on it, but he's not too concerned about it. Didn't seem too concerned about it. So I think you, you, you're probably okay there. Uh, It was a stinger. You know, Dawson Knox had a stinger last week, another one this week. Uh, So I think he'll be all right. Uh, Stefan Diggs, Kim Jones, who's also been on the podcast, she reported that from from sources that she's talked to, uh, it's not believed to be serious, nothing that will uh, affect him long term. So two big bullets dodged there. Big time. And it was encouraging to see Diggs return to the sidelines at the end of the game there. He was putting his shoe on and kind of uh, moving pretty well out there, it looked like. So... You know, it, we, we did just sit here and say they're going to be playing these last two games. But if you have any concerns whatsoever about a guy like Stefan Diggs, yeah, it would obviously hurt the offense uh, if he can't play in one of these last two games. But he's more important for you in the playoffs. So if you want to put him on a pitch count, if you want to sit him out, maybe this is the time to do it because guess who could come back next week? John Brown. So maybe you swap those guys out a little bit. Um but, you know, we got to wait and see. That's the one thing is, is we know by midweek generally how serious these injuries are. Uh, Levi Wallace was another one that got hurt, but he returned to the game. So, you know, right now I think things are pointing to an encouraging sign for these injuries, at least in the short term. So kind of wait and see. Uh, it very rarely after the game do we get specifics because Sean McDermott usually doesn't have the uh, specific details either. Uh, before we get into, you know, talking about some of these players and, you know, there was, you know, some performances tonight that I, I really want to, you know, talk about. Daryl Williams is somebody that did not return to the game and Ty and Secchi, and this, the value of Ty and Secchi, you know, you talk about having depth, you know, and on the along the offensive line, it's so important. But this depth piece, a Ty and Secchi who's 35 years old, who hasn't played all season, Daryl Williams goes down in this game. He's been playing at a pro bowl, maybe all pro level uh, this season coming off of maybe his greatest performance of the year against TJ Watt last week, you know, big, did a big story on him over at the site. Go check it out. Syracuse.com, New York upstate.com this past week. He goes out with a groin injury, which is alarming because, you know, you know, an offensive lineman, whenever you hear groin, you know, that tends to be maybe a couple weeks. If that's the case, and you don't want to speculate. We'll probably get more of an update on Daryl, you know, in the next couple of days, uh, Monday, we'll probably talk to Sean, uh, which will be a good update. You have Ty Inseki, who's fresh. And that's one of the big p- problems last year was that I think that they put the strain on his body and asked him to play week in and week out from the beginning of training camp. Now you can sit here and say, all right, we, we got a, you know, our season is basically, we got two games left. So let's say a six game season 
and we need Ty Insecki. Say, worst case scenario, Daryl Williams is going to miss an extended amount of time. Well, Ty Insecki last year was arguably the best offensive lineman on that Bills line. It is a nice thing to have depth, and it's proving to be very important right now. Yeah, having an, an Inseki who hasn't had to play much this year and, and having him fresh this late in the season is absolutely a benefit for this team. Uh, like you said, hopefully Williams is a short-term deal because he has been outstanding. Uh, he's really lined himself well to uh, get paid here in free agency, whether it's by the Bills or another team. He, he's reestablished his value, and he's been really important to Buffalo's success, uh, especially in, in the passing game because his pass blocking has been outstanding. So, you know, it's, it's a wait-and-see situation, but having a tie-in Secchi waiting in the wings, it, it could be a lot worse than that for sure. All right, let's get to the game. And let's start – let me start with you, Ryan. What was your biggest, like – take away from this game in terms of who who maybe uh, pop for you a little bit? Well, you know, it's all the the same people that you see popping. It's Josh Allen. It's Stefan Diggs. It's Cole Beasley. But there were some under-the-radar plays for the Bills today, too. Uh, a guy like Reggie Gilliam, he had two great blocks on Josh Allen's first touchdown run. Let me stop you right there. <laughs> I, I should have known that Ryan uh, Talbot was going to work in there and get some Reggie Gilliam love in there. Had Go to work his- it in. Go read Ryan's Reggie Gilliam story on the site right now. Go ahead, Ryan. But I, I watched that play, and I was like, uh, it, it was live, and I was like, who is that guy that just took down the one guy, and then he came up, and he made a second block as Allen was running in. I went back, and I'm like, it's Gilliam. So he made two great blocks downfield to protect his quarterback there. Um, Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, especially, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Singletary's touchdown because that was great when, when the game was already out of hand. But this is the second straight week that I think Zach Moss – when the Bills have needed him, he's come up big for this team. They were trying to milk some time off the clock late in the game, and he had some huge runs, one around the outside to the right, some up the middle, where he took on defenders, and then he he pushed ahead to move the chains. Um, he, the only negative play against him was when he couldn't get the first down on that fourth and one play, but realistically, watching it live, re-watching it numerous times, that just looked like a, a terrible spot. It looked like he, he did get that first down, but when, when it comes to spot calls, especially in those crowded areas, hardly does it ever get overturned. But I thought Moss was really showing up. I think Bills fans, if you look at the stat lines of Moss and Singletary, uh, one thing you have to remember is these are not these are guys who are not getting much work in the run game. The Bills have been pass happy, and they had every reason to be pass happy again tonight against a depleted uh, Broncos secondary. But when they were needed the most, they came out, they performed, they ran well. They combined to go for, I think, 149 off the top of my head combined. So they performed well. Um, offensive line as a whole, Josh Allen had one sack. It was on a play where he held the ball too long. He was waiting, waiting, waiting. Uh, and, and he, you know, he was more so responsible for that. So all across the board, there was a lot of guys on offense who, who really stepped up. Touchdown, Jesus, Jake Kumaro. How about that guy? One catch, one <laughs> touchdown for the Bills. So it's little things like that. The Bills were getting themselves backed up in the red zone, but then they were still making some plays here and there. And then defensively, Taron Johnson was really close to another pick six. Levi Wallace had uh, what should have been an interception early in the game that he missed out on. So, you know, little things like that where they're starting to play with more confidence too in terms of reading the quarterbacks and and making good uh, plays jumping on the ball. They just didn't result in interceptions tonight. I'm going to – I want to start with Cole Beasley because we spent a lot of time on Stephon Diggs after the Sunday night game, and we could spend an equal amount of time on him again tonight because, you know, what I think that we've 
come to learn now is that Josh Allen is so confident in Stefan Diggs and the relationship and chemistry there that he's going to get him the ball. He's going to feed him the ball. And I know that, you know, Denver secondary is completely ravaged with injuries. I mean, they were going up against, you know, an undrafted guy in Bosby and then uh, Ojemudia, who is the guy that, uh, you know, really <laughs> fell in the draft last year and got himself ejected when he punched Gabriel Davis in the face and Gabe, you know, Gabriel Davis, I know we've been talking about this for weeks. He's not your average rookie. Stephon Diggs has been talking about that. You know, the guy came in here, the way he knew the playbook, the way he just, from the from the jump, you know, fit in here. He had a little bit of smirk, a little veteran savvy after that uh, ejection. Like, yeah, I took the punch, and, and, and I'm okay. And, you know, the UFC guy in me kind of takes my hat off to that. But Stephon Diggs, it's, it's so seamless. I mean, he, he gets separation so quickly and he's, he's so elite as a route runner that, you know, he has Josh Allen's full trust. And we know that at this point, and, and we know that's going to be there week in and week out with Cole Beasley, you know, I'm, I'm struck with how much he's stepped up even more. So, I mean, he's been so good since he signed on the dotted line with his team. I mean, you go back to 2019, some of the games that he had last year, I mean, it, it's not about the production. It's just about like the consistency and the ability to have these big games. And you go back and study his career and it, it hasn't always been this way for him, despite the really good offenses that he's played in. And you look at his stats right now. And after tonight's game, he had nine catches, for or eight catches for 112 yards. So he is now sitting at 79 catches for 950 yards. That is it already. Both of those things are, are, are uh, career marks. Uh, he set his career touchdown record as a bill last year. Uh, he'd need two more to tie that. But the thing about it is he's going to catch more balls for more yards, average more yards per reception, all while playing in an offense with arguably the best wide receiver or in the in the group of three that you know it's could be one a b c in the league in stefan Diggs, and he continues to make an impact in big time games and you know i think hats off to cole beasley and hats off even more so to a guy that i laugh now going back to some of the twitter threads in 2019 early 2019 2018 guys wanting uh, fans and some media wanting Brian Dable's head on a platter and, you know, a new offensive coordinator. And now we're talking about perhaps, you know, if not for Eric Bieniemy, who's been a guy that should have been a head coach already. I mean, the, what he's done in Kansas city has been unbelievable, but if we're talking about new blood this year, Brian Dable is the hottest name out there. Yeah. And, and real quick on Dable, before I go to Cole Beasley, it, it's funny. You're right. Because it was, get rid of this guy. He can't, you know, he has a few good calls here and there, but then they, they pan or they, they struggle on these drives. Now you have those same people asking us, do you think they could, they could make him the highest paid offensive coordinator in the league? So he won't leave. Well, no, that's not really how this works. Now the bills could offer him a raise and say, Hey, we will make you the highest paid offensive coordinator if you don't end up taking a job. But in this league, you become a coach to become an NFL head coach, not just to become an NFL offensive coordinator. And if an opportunity is there, and I'll, again, for the millionth time, mention the Chargers, maybe the Jets with Trevor Lawrence. There's going to be a few opportunities where he sits there and he says, you know, I, I could win with this team, maybe the Texans, um, and I can win now. So if he can get one of those jobs that he covets, I think he's as good as gone, and I can't blame the guy. You're, you go to this league to become a head coach, and he's earned that right. 
going back to Beasley, even though he's already set career highs in receptions and yards, and he's going to probably be Buffalo's second receiver over a thousand yards this year. It still almost feels some weeks like he's underutilized in this offense because he's always open. He's getting off the line. We saw in the Arizona game, Patrick Peterson, he blew him off the line for an easy touchdown today. Uh, again, depleted secondary, depleted cornerback group, but some of his, his uh, separation off the line was just ridiculous. The gaps that he had there where Allen just had to kind of sling it to him in the middle of the field and knew Beasley was going to take it 18, 20, 30 yards downfield. So Beasley is unbelievable. He can always get himself open. He's been a true asset for this team. And you're right, you know, Stefan Diggs has been the real deal. He has been a top two, top three receiver in this league, but man, Cole Beasley has been just as important to this offense. Going back and watching uh, touchdown Jesus's uh, touchdown grab. And what a cool story for Jake Kumaro. I mean, he's a guy that Aaron Rodgers, when the Bills signed him, and and Ryan, you usually you know, always do a, a great job of, you know, diving into a guy when the Bills bring him on and usually put like a you know few things to know or whatever. And I think it was you who had talked about some of the quotes that Aaron Rodgers had about Jay Kumaro and how, you know, he loved him in practice and he obviously, you know, built a rapport with him. And when the Green Bay Packers cut him and the Bills brought him in, it was kind of eye-opening. Like, all right, stash a guy. I know the Bills have a, a really deep at wide receiver. And and he is he's a fit, like, you know, culture-wise because he's a guy that's come in here with no – not even an inkling of a of a guarantee for an opportunity to actually play. He knew he was probably going to be a season of grinding on the practice squad. And what does he do? He goes out there, grinds, 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 gets active or gets called up um, when there was some injuries. Ends up getting on the fifty three man roster for um, majority of special teams reps. But you know, here and there, the last couple of weeks, he's gotten tossed out on the field for you know to be a run blocker or whatever. First catch of the season touchdown over the middle and you know you look at the development of a lot of these guys and from Gabriel Davis who we've we mentioned and how he stepped up with John Brown out Cole Beasley and, and Stephon Diggs proving that they can be a dynamic duo in their own right and then tonight if you notice something funny Ryan they ran that John Brown screen for Isaiah McKenzie and I really wonder and I I, I don't want to focus too much on the offseason. There's so much to, to cover in the next six weeks, but it is something to put in the back of your mind as you start to think, okay, how are the bills going to start to find dollars to bring people back? Because, you know, I think Daryl Williams has earned himself a contract with this team. No doubt about it. We're going to talk about this defense in a minute. Matt Milano must be resigned. I'm, I'm at that point. What he's what he's done the last two weeks on a limited basis and a little bit more tonight, I, I would imagine his snap count will probably be around 35, 40 tomorrow when we get those numbers. He played more tonight. You can just see the difference in this defense when he's out there flying around. Um, but you could save $8 million with John Brown, and I think that the development of guys like Isaiah McKenzie, maybe Isaiah more than anybody, and maybe a chance to give him a bigger role there's so much talent in that receiver room that I think that you can probably stomach walking away if you need to. And I'm not saying that you should. John Brown's a great player. And if if it works out financially and, and the way you're building your team, of course, keep him in the fold. And who knows? Maybe if it's a situation where you restructure that deal because John Brown is obviously a team guy. Uh, if you read the ESPN piece on Stefan Diggs and the story of how those two guys came together, if you haven't read that yet, go read it. It's a really good one. I got I got something on Stefan Diggs coming out next week. I'm really excited about, but go read that ESPN piece as well. It's really good. Um, I thought that 
you know, that was super selfless of John Brown. He fits to a T that number two receiver alongside a star like Stefan Diggs. But, you know, when you have talent, you can have these conversations. Yeah. They're tough decisions that we, we do have to talk about here after this season's over, whenever that may be. We've mentioned John Brown. We've mentioned Mitch Morse. They like Feliciano at center. They could save some money there. You don't have enough money to pay everyone. This is the problem. That, you know, this is the life in the NFL on a year-to-year basis, but especially in a year where uh, the cap is supposed to be lower than it, you know than normal based on uh, everything that happened this year, the revenue loss due to COVID nineteen. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out. Um, Kumaro, real quick, you know, real cool. You're right. Aaron Rodgers pretty much said before the season started, he almost counted him as his number four wide receiver. Uh, just kind of took for granted that he'd be on that roster. He's reliable. I can trust him when I throw him the ball. And then he he's released. Good bloodlines. He's related to both of the Bosa's, uh, obviously, because they're brothers. But <laughs> so I guess I said it like that. Duh. Uh, he's related to the Bosa's, not both of them. Um, so, you know, good bloodlines there. Um, I think his grandfather was like a big mafia guy, which, you know, fitting because bills fan base the bills mafia so really cool story really cool career um and and you're right a a guy that will wait for his opportunities and when he has been getting out here on those limited snaps sometimes it's been one play back to the sideline but tonight right down the middle no one covered him alan hit him and, and he did what he was supposed to do and hauled in that pass so people are making plays when given opportunities isaiah mckenzie has really developed quite a bit this year for buffalo uh had a nice game there uh, again tonight where he had a touchdown taken off the board along with uh, Lee Smith, also another guy that had a touchdown taken off the board for this team. So just about anyone was scoring. It's just not every one of them uh, counted for the Bills tonight. We're going to get a lot more into this defense. I see a comment on Matt Milano I want to address in a minute. Stick with us. Quick word from our sponsor. We will be right back. Ready for football? Tops is with ready-to-serve fan favorites everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops. All right, so let's continue talking a little bit about Matt Milano and and, and the way that the Bills uh, played today on defense because I thought this was perhaps their, you know, I I know the, the point total probably doesn't tell the story, of how good they were tonight. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't get the takeaways. And um, let me look here. Uh, Six for 14 on third down. There were some convert conversions there Um, coming off of, uh, I believe it was, what what was, what was it last week? Was it one for 10 on third down? The the Pittsburgh Steelers were last week. Yeah. Just unbelievable production last week. The bills were flying around the field. I think that, you know, Matt Milano, the comment that I saw, in here was that he struggled uh, on that touchdown throw. And I thought, I don't know about you, Ryan. I thought the coverage was pretty good. I thought it was a good throw. I think Noah Fant is an absolute mismatch as a tight end when he gets on, on most, uh, on most linebackers. But I thought Milano's what Milano does is he gives you a variety of options on what you can do with them. I think AJ Klein at times this year has been a little bit of a liability even in, during his good stretch where he's been playing lights out football, there's been times where he's you know left you wanting a little bit more in the coverage department. I think most of the time you put Milano in a situation where he's got one-on-one coverage. It, I got flashbacks to you know when he would go up against Rob Gronkowski in some of those Patriot games and some of the really big time plays he's made in coverage. And you know he's somebody that you want on the field as much as possible. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and I think you nailed it on the head. That throw was just on the money. He put it in a Drew Lock. That was one of his only really good throws. He put it in a perfect spot where only uh, Fant could get it. Uh, he is one of the best young tight ends, in my opinion, in the game. He's been very productive in Denver, especially this season. Uh, so it was a tough ma- mismatch or match. I shouldn't say mismatch, matchup. Uh, he made one, uh, going back to Milano, though, the other plays. He had one play on a pass, I believe it was to Melvin Gordon, uh, where he wrapped him up by the leg, brought him down immediately for either no gain or a short loss. There were a few run plays where maybe Milano didn't make the tackle, but he was the first one in there, and, and he stopped the running back and made him change where his direction, where he was going, and those were the short gains or the no gains or the losses in the backfield. He's starting to fly around a little bit more. You can see his confidence boosting. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Tremaine Edmonds when Edmonds was finally feeling better after his shoulder injury, and you saw that night and day difference in his play. I don't know where Matt Milano is right now from this pec injury. I've said before, in, in my opinion, uh, it might take the entire offseason before he gets back to 100%, but he looks a lot more confident out there. The way he's tackling players, the way he's uh, pursuing the ball, the way that he's diagnosing what he sees on the field, and, and that obviously helps out the, the, this defense as a whole. When he's out there, this unit is better. It's no coincidence that, coincidence that they've been playing better since he's returned. Next up, let's talk about Tredavious White because you know this was an interesting – game and i, I want to comment a little bit about his maturation because you know you remember earlier in his career you know i think that he had a tendency to let the extra stuff you know play a, a larger role than i think some of the best you know tend to do you know the chirping the extra you know p- comments in the media you know, we, we saw Drew Locke say what he said this week and that, you know, he's not going to be scared of going to his side of the field. And um, we kind of laughed at that a little bit on the show on Wednesday because we thought that was probably a bad idea for Drew Locke. But, you know, he's young. He's he's confident and a little cocky, which is good sometimes to be, as a quarterback. But what we saw tonight was Trey make a couple big plays as usual. Uh, I didn't notice Drew Locke throwing his way a, a whole ton. And then maybe the play of the game on defense, I asked Trey, man, you, you shut down corner. They 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 let you they let you get free on a blitz, and what do you do? You blaze around the side. And I, I went back and watched it, Ryan. He he beat the left tackle, obviously. I mean, this how are you going to deal with that speed rush around the outside? But then Philip Lindsay was there, and, you know, to kind of help out, and he blew by him too. Came all the way around, strip sack, and then Jerry Hughes. What he did after that? I mean, the effort. The the attention to detail, the preparation, like I know it's like so cliche and we've heard this coming out of McDermott's locker room for for three or four years. And when you're this close to it, it you could tend to eye roll a little bit because it's like, how can you be that just like um, formulaic and routine oriented? But that's what this is all about. And they're the devils in the details for these guys. And you see it with the success that they're having. Tredavious White to me. He's an all-pro caliber player, but I'm I'm starting to put him at that 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 upper echelon, that that different tier for the all-pro players that get it on and off the field that are that are just so good in everything that they do. He, he's a key piece to why this franchise is where it's at, 
And I think that he's really, he came out after the game today and he, you know, I asked him about, about how they were able to shut down Drew Locke. Nothing about those comments, nothing about any of that extra, extra stuff. All he said was Drew Locke's a talented guy and we executed and, and he continues to execute. Yeah, Trey White's a student of the game. You know, his interceptions this season, it's been on plays where he, he almost knew exactly what was coming, so he's peeled off of his guys and been in the right spot. He didn't get any interceptions against Drew Locke, but go back to some of the plays that he made today. I know he had two passes defensed. One was on a throw to Noah Fant where he he kind of dropped back and he jumped up in the air and he had just enough to, to hit the ball and uh, bat that down. Then he had one, I want to say it was against Tim Patrick. It was a low throw, and he came in and he batted that ball away at the very end, so it hit the turf. So two passes defense there. He has the uh, the sack that you mentioned, which leads to a Jerry Hughes touchdown where he was uh, channeling his LaShawn McCoy, holding that ball out with one arm as he uh, made a few different moves, changed hands, and scored. Uh, so, yeah, Trey White just, like I said, student of the game, studies that film harder than just about anyone in not only on this team, but in the league. And, and it pays off for him on a weekly basis. Um, defensive line tonight, I thought played uh, pretty well Ed Oliver gets his third sack of the season. And I tweeted about it. Like, you know, he's been good the last couple of weeks. I mean, I've been going back and rewatching these games a couple times each week. And one of the things is he just seems like so close to a lot of big plays like you know whether the the quarterback gets rid of the ball or the play goes the opposite direction you look at some of the one-on-one battles that he's had in spite of the fact of how he's being asked to be used this year like you know we talked about earlier in the season like they were doing a lot of one technique with him which you know they're basically asking him to take on double teams he's an undersized three technique as it is and so he's had to adjust his game a lot and learn how to make those adju- adjustments on the fly. But I thought, you know, tonight he gets the sack. He's been really close to this for a while. And, you know, he seems super activated. He's healthy. He could be kind of coming into his own at the perfect time because you know, this defense as a whole is playing together really well at all three levels. But individually speaking, you know what you're going to get about uh, from Jerry Hughes every game, every play. You know what you're going to get from certain guys. You know, Tremaine Edmonds is playing better. If those younger guys, Tremaine Edmonds, Ed Oliver, um, you know, even Levi Wallace to a lesser extent, if you can start getting consistency from them, playmaking consistency, this defense is, you know, that that Chiefs, potential Chiefs showdown, that's where I give them the maybe the the most, uh, their biggest chance in that Kansas City game for me is if this defense, the way that it's been playing these last three weeks, shows up and executes at the level that it has been. Yeah, you know, first on Ed Oliver, um, first play of the game, the run didn't go to, uh, his direction, but I noticed him right off the snap because mm-hmm. he pushed that Broncos offensive lineman far into the backfield. So play one, he he made himself noticed on, mm-hmm. on in that game. Uh, the sack probably should have counted for two the way he slammed Drew Locke to the ground. He threw him down so hard. I, <laughs> I was either waiting for a penalty or, or uh, something else just because it was so emphatic the way he threw him down to the ground. But great sack there. You saw passes defense. I think Oliver had one of the passes defense. Vernon Butler had his hand up on one play. Butler's was really impressive because uh, he was rolling out Locke was and Butler followed him and was able to stretch out and get that. There was a third one. Oh, lost Matt there for a second. Uh, there was a third batted ball by the defensive line as well. We've already talked about Jerry Hughes's touchdown. You had Mario Addison getting a sack uh, for this unit as well. So the defensive line is playing well. There he is. 
Uh, defensive. I'm just testing you to see what you oh, do if, if you had to go solo. No panic. No panic yet. Uh, <laughs> I probably would have been texting the next like 30 seconds as I rambled on. But defensive line is definitely playing better. Uh, I did mention 99 yards on the ground for the the running backs themselves, but at the same time, it was never a big factor in this game. Um, and actually, some puzzling run calls when when the Broncos were down big there late in the second half, where it's like, okay, it was a nice game, but why are you handing it off to him when you're down 20 something? But uh, that that being said, like you said, if the Bills want to be able to knock off the Chiefs, if they want to win a few playoff games, the, the whole defense has to play well, but it starts up front with this defensive line. AFC East champions. I mean, I, th- I think it's funny. The, we asked Josh about, well, a few people asked him several times during his press conference about, you know, what this means. And this seems very, um, you know, I think that the goals – What's the best way to word this? I feel like the intensity of the goal of winning the AFC East kind of trailed off as the season progressed because of what's happening in the division, because of how you know quickly this team started to really raise its level of play, specifically on offense. To you know, the the quote was is like, you know, I'm glad to be the quarterback and I'm glad to be on the team that wins an AFC East title for the first time in 25 years. But the goal is a Super Bowl. And, you know, I think we're, what, are we two or three weeks removed from talking about the Bills? Are they a Super Bowl contender? And, you know, these are the kind of games on the road, West Coast trip, at altitude, all of the factors that you could throw in the mix here. And it was almost like from the very first play of this game, there was never a doubt that this team was going to go on the road and trample a Broncos team that, you know, is coming off of the made their best performance of the season. They played the chiefs tough a couple weeks ago, 22, 16 was the final score. There was some really well-respected experts that thought while most were picking the bills, this was a game that was going to be a true test. And at every turn of this game, it was a it was a test that they aced again. Yeah. And the Broncos have had a lot of success this year with with uh, sending four guys. And Fangio said you might have to send more against Josh Allen, but Josh Allen was just it didn't matter what they threw was it whether it was four or more. He was so cool and calm in the pocket. There were times where they sent blitzes, and, and Allen just waited long enough, and he dropped it off to Cole Beasley, or he threw it. Uh, someone else in the middle of the field. He he just waited. He, sometimes he took some hits because of that, but he was okay with that because it resulted in positive plays for the team. When there wasn't anyone open, he took off and ran with the ball. Three carries, 33 yards, two of them resulting in touchdowns. Uh, so he's he's the game has slowed down for him significantly. He's making not only the right decisions with throwing the ball, running the ball, but you just see the, the maturation where year one, any sign of pressure, he took off and ran with the ball. Year two, phased out a little bit. Now it's like the last resort. The the touched uh his second touchdown I want to say it was on the ground. Uh was supposed to be a throw across the other side of the field and it wasn't there and he waited, he waited. He he was going through all of his progressions before I finally said, "Okay, I'm going to run with it." And he was able to defeat the uh to get by the defensive end and everyone else as he got around the corner to the end zone. So now that run first uh, that we saw out of him as a rookie, that's like the last possible resort for him, except for obviously on those design quarterback runs. So I've seen a comment here. I have to address it. Uh, I believe it was Dean on YouTube, uh, lives in Southern California. What's beef on whack, he called it. All right. When COVID is over, Dean, I need you to get on an airplane 
and I need you to fly to the 716 Buffalo, New York. Find any of the elite establishments that make an elite sandwich called the beef on whack. My wife is probably upstairs absolutely rolling her eyes right now because it's her favorite. It's her favorite dinner. You need to find yourself a beef on Kimmelwick roll. It's got a little salt, got those little seeds. It's it's absolute heaven on a bun. You need to get yourself here. You can't, I mean, if you're a Bills fan, you can't call yourself a Bills fan if you've never had a beef on Wick. Um, Wack, Wick. You can call it either one. You've had a beef on Wack, obviously, Ryan. Oh, I love them. Uh, that's actually like our New Year's Eve food that we have at my parents every year. Um, and yeah, you can go to any restaurant in Buffalo and get it. Uh, you can get it locally, even where I'm from here, which is about an hour, hour and a half away from Buffalo. Uh, e- even tops, you can order the, the Charlie the Butcher uh, and get that in there and cook it yourself. And it, you make a pretty good uh, beef on wick yourself there. So definitely something you need to try next time you're in uh, Western New York, because it's definitely a Western New York food. If you mention outside of Western New York, people will look at you like you have two heads. Big news yesterday, Ryan, a uh, comment in here from Shelvis on uh, YouTube. Um Governor Cuomo uh, said that, and let's not get into the political stuff. I mean, save that. I don't. I don't care. Like, let's 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 just keep it focused on, you know, you know, the fact that he didn't eliminate the possibility of fans in the stands. And I know Micah Hyde after the tonight's game tweeted out, you know, <laughs> I was going to comment on it and said uh, he tweeted out, uh, I "Wonder how many airports uh, fans are going to be at the airport tonight with a little one of these emojis." And um, because you know, you go back to last year and, and greeting the team after they made the playoffs in Pittsburgh and it was a mob scene, obviously in COVID, you know, I got to thinking, I don't know if you really want it to be a mob scene up there. Um, but either way, cause I was going to quote tweet it and say, if anybody's got some drone, uh, like one of those drone cameras, that might be something cool to kind of uh, get, get, get like the overview, but you kind of don't really want to push people to be going and, and congregating uh, in a, in a big group like that. But, you know, Governor Cuomo said if the if the infection rate and the hospital uh, capacity rates in Western New York continue to dip, if there's a science based way to figure out a way to get a limited amount of fans in the stadium, he would love to do that for Buffalonians. And whatever you think about him and whatever you think about, you know, his politics, just that in and of itself to get some fans in the stadium for me. At this point, like with what we're seeing around the with around the country, and I'd love to know some of the science behind or some of the data uh, of whether these events are, are are considered super spreader events because it seems like some of these stadiums continue to have you know fans in an open air stadium probably isn't a huge issue. It would be great to see fans in the stadium um, as long as it could be done safely. Yeah, and part of me was a little skeptical when he said that because months ago he said something about going on a tour of the stadium looking at that, and I don't think that tour ever happened, And even though he said it was going to happen in the near future. But at the same time, we've seen this in other stadiums, football stadiums, fans in the crowd spread out, uh, and, and it's working, and, and it goes. It seems to be going off without a hitch. It doesn't seem to be an issue. Uh, and then, you know, I've had a lot of fans say, well, if they do, how does that work? Is it, you know, first come, first serve? Is it the longest tenured season ticket holders? We don't have the answers to that, but worst case scenario, get get the frontline workers in there. Get give some tickets to the nurses and the doctors. Give some ner- uh, to the uh, emergency response people. Uh, you know, whoever you can get the the people that have really um, been out there these last few months since actually since March, not the last few months. All these months, uh, you know, being so selfless and, and maybe reward them. I know that Roger Goodell said something about doing the same thing with the Super Bowl. 
you know, reward those people, get them in the stands, get some people in the stands that can enjoy this game, uh, this playoff game at Bill's stadium for the first time in a long time. Ryan, do you know what we forgot to do today? Well, I forgot to do today. What's that? Our game day zoom. I'm dropping the ball. This is the second straight week. We didn't do our zoom. I just got a DM about it on Twitter. Oh, terrible. Now, if you don't know about this, We've been doing it when we were doing it before. I've just been an absolute, um, you know, bomb the last couple of weeks. We we were doing these game day zooms with five uh, folks in the in, in a Zoom chat, like, kind of like a a little podcast style live Q and A, and it's been really fun. We'll get back into them if you're watching right now, and and we didn't do the one today. I'm gonna reschedule. I'll circle back around. It's been super busy. We've been putting up a lot of content at the site. I've uh, been working on a couple different stories. I talked to somebody from Stefan Diggs's past, former NFL player. I'm really excited for that story to come out on Monday. Kind of been working on that, uh, putting that all together. Um, so I just been kind of like hung up with a couple other things. So uh, we'll see. We'll get that going in the next couple of days. Let's talk about Dawson Knox. Um, he's another guy I want to hit on because um, this is a guy that, you know, fans, again, uh, maybe a little bit of an overreaction. Um you know, some I th- I've read some people say like they wanted him cut with some of the the drops early in the season. And don't get me wrong, he's there's been drops, and you know he's dealt with some injury issues this year. But third touchdown catch in four games, Dawson Knox, you know, becoming an a reliable red zone target for a team now that you rewind to that Jets game when they had to kick eight field goals because they could not convert in the red zone. You know, they've been on fire in the red zone and tonight was against the best team in the red zone in the league. And they scored touchdown after touchdown. And, you know, Dawson Knox gets his first, the first one of the game to, to start things off. And it's impressive. I think, I think that he's taken, he's made the most of the opportunity that's been given to him by the bills, making Tyler Croft inactive the last few weeks. And I think confidence is key for a young player like Dawson Knox, a guy that has a lot of athleticism, but he's still pretty raw and having three touchdowns in four weeks and having more opportunities is only going to raise that confidence. And like you said, there's been some mistakes along the way. There was a mistake last week in the Pittsburgh game where bobbled the ball, brought it in, fell to the ground, popped out of his hands and, and was then uh, went right to a Steelers player. But then he responded by converting a third and 11 with a 16 yard gain. And he had some other catches in that one today. In addition to the touchdown, he had a, a play down, you know, where once again, he made a big play down the field. Instead of going out of bounds, he tried to take on those defenders. He had a stiff arm, uh, a few extra yards after the catch because he kept charging forward. We're, we're seeing a little bit more out of him every week. And, and confidence is something else for these younger players. And as we get closer and closer to the playoffs, if you can get a Dawson Knox, whose confidence is at an all-time high in 2020 at least, rolling out there, he can be a mismatch against opposing linebackers and safeties and uh, defensive backs just in general if you get them in those right matchups. So the more mismatches the Bills have, the better th- things will be for Josh Allen in this offense, and the more likely it is that the Bills can make a deep run in the playoffs. Just checking um, some stats here. Were there any more questions in the comments? Because I definitely want to get in as many as those. Oh, actually, there was another one on Levi Wallace. What was your um, thoughts on his game today? I think he continues to play with a lot of confidence. I think he was close on that interception in the first quarter. Uh, saw a lot of people come back and talk about uh, the sun might have been in his eyes, and it was pretty sunny there as that game started and some areas of the field that I think definitely could have uh, hampered uh, your vision. But you know, I think he continues to play with play with confidence, which I think is huge for him. They, they're still sticking with that rotational role. I also saw a comment about Josh Norman. 
I did not see him go out late in the game. I was writing kind of furiously. Uh, did, did, did he come out late in the game? And, and have you heard anything on that? I didn't see anything with Norman, to be honest, either, because I was already starting the report card and doing the national reactions with a game being out of hand. Uh, but, you know, going to Levi himself, yeah, he, these last few weeks he's been playing really good football. Um, he was beat on a play by Pittsburgh where he caught, made up the ground and intercepted Ben Roethlisberger. Had what should have been an interception tonight, but, you know, just kind of dropped that one early in the game. He's playing with more confidence. Uh, having that rotation, that platoon, though, might help him. You know, it's no coincidence that he was playing better at the end of the regular season last year when they were kind of uh, moving that around a little bit too and having uh, more than one guy. It wasn't just Levi Wallace playing there, obviously. So he, he went out with a intercept, uh, interception week 17 last week, year against the Jets, and he ended up getting injured in that game and not playing in the playoffs. But at the end of the year, he was making the interception against Pittsburgh and then the Jets. So same thing that we're seeing here. He's starting to play with more confidence as the year goes on, as we're getting closer to the end of the regular season. So he can also provide some uh, – some help to this defense in the secondary come playoff time, because like Leslie Frazier said numerous times, teams aren't going to keep targeting you. If you, if you start making plays and he's starting to make those plays. So it's going to be another issue for opposing uh, quarterbacks, opposing offenses. When, when they say, you know, where are we going to throw the ball? Who are we going to target on a regular basis? If, if not only is Trey white making play after play after play, but cornerback number two, whether it's Levi Wallace or Josh Norman in that platoon are making plays as well. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see Dane Jackson unless there's an injury. Uh, I know that you know both of us have been very high on Dane, and I think that if he's called upon and, and if there's an injury, I, I'd, I'd have no problems with the Bills going back to him and putting him back in that spot. But I think that they they like the veteran um, presence that Josh Norman brings. I think he's he brings a lot of energy as well, and I think that there's probably also a fear as you get into these these later months as the the level of competition is going to go up in the playoffs. You probably want to lean on that experience more than that youth. And I know that Dane Jackson made a lot of plays, but I, I think that, that Levi's trending up. And I think they found something with the way that they're going to go with this rotational uh, piece. It allows a guy like Josh Norman, who's you know older than 30, kind of give him, keep him on a pitch count a little bit, utilize him in fits, and, and let Levi Wallace continue to kind of be the st stabilizing CB2 that he's been. I like that combination. I like what it, I've seen from them over the last two days. And I, I sometimes think that you you want to go a little bit deeper than just the individual's performance. Sure, did he give up a couple catches? You'll probably go in every game and find that. I mean, anybody who plays opposite Stravius White is probably going to give up some catches. I mean, it doesn't matter who they are. But I think you also take into account how the defense as a whole is playing with that person on the field. And I think that the way this defense is playing collectively, and listen, they're not going to get a lot of tests the next two weeks from the opposing offense. I mean, the New England Patriots look like that offense is absolutely broken. They might get Julian Edelman back next week. I know that he's returned to practice. We'll watch that. That'll be interesting, I guess. But I think the Bills you know, match up well with that offense, and especially with the way that they're playing now. They have some guys back. And then Miami with Tua, you know, I think that that's a game in Buffalo that's going to be, you know, a, a rookie quarterback against Sean McDermott's defense that if healthy and playing its best football is going to be a real test. I like what they have going here, so I don't think we'll see him quite yet. Uh, we'll look at the comments a little bit more here, but I want to bring up a few things before we get out of here with Josh Allen because we, we, we let off the show talking a little bit about should he be in the MVP conversation. And, you know, just going through some of his stats here, Ryan, and tonight uh, 28 of 40, 359 yards, two touchdowns passing, two on the ground, 114.5 quarterback rating, uh, which is uh, the seventh game this season with a passer rating above 100. 
That establishes a new Bills record. He also logged a 7-300-yard passing game, which ties Drew Bledsoe's franchise record set in 2002. So, you know, I think, what what is he at here? I think he's at 4,000. I just saw the... I think he was 4,000 on the dot, wasn't it? Or did it? No, he might have thrown one or two after that, too. So he is about 350 yards away from breaking Bletso's passing yards record in a season. Not to mention the stats that he's going to have rushing the football. I mean, this is this is going to wind up being the greatest. I mean, unless there's an injury, unless he sits in Miami or has a complete drop-off. We're talking about the greatest single season quarterback performance, regular season quarterback performance in franchise history. And, you know, we're two years removed from a good portion of, you know, experts thinking that this guy was, you know, even the ones that wouldn't go as far as calling him a parody of a prospect, but somebody that was never going to work in this league. And now if you're starting a football team right now, and you and you were told for the next 10 to 15 years you could take any quarterback right now. Who are you taking over Josh Allen other than Patrick Mahomes? Maybe Deshaun Watson, but I think that the what you can do scheme-wise, if you have a play caller, you know, an elite play caller like Brian Dable, Josh Allen just offers things that I think only Patrick Mahomes offers more. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I've seen some comments in here joking, of course, saying, you know, Ryan had the, the streamer and the confetti in, in the beginning of the year when Josh Allen threw for 300 in a scrimmage. You know, where's all that after tonight? It's become kind of ho-hum. Passing again? Yeah, I've seen it six other times. 70% completion percentage? Yep, I've come to expect it. Josh Allen, like you said, is on pace to have the greatest single season uh, for a quarterback in Bill's history, and, and it's just kind of come to be expected. It's I, I've seen this guy. I've seen his greatness this season, and it's just like when it, it's more surprising when it doesn't happen. I, I'm expecting those high 60s, low 70% completion percentage. I'm expecting him to throw it all over on opposing teams, run it effectively when called upon, and that's just what we've seen so effectively from this quarterback all year long, especially over these last – uh, seven, eight, or eight weeks where the Bills have been playing better than just about any team in this league. All right. This has been a really fun podcast. And you know why it's been fun is because I can sense in the chat rooms, you know, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, you know, my my timeline, my mentions, my DMs, the just unbridled excitement within the fan base right now. And, you know, we're here for you guys. I mean, we we work for you and and to see the 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 joy you know in in the fan base right now experiencing this it's it's cool for me i know it's it's cool for you ryan and it, it's fun i i tweeted out a picture or a, a request send me your pictures celebrating with uh you know your bills gear and, and you know with your families and because i know my greatest memories is a bills fan growing up were the moments I s- sat around with my grandfather and my dad in my living room watching this team. And I know how much those moments mean. I think it was our buddy Greg Thompson, I thought, had a great tweet earlier this tonight. He kind of I, he came to Buffalo to watch the game with his family, and he, he took one of those selfies, and he had the whole family in the background. And I, and it, 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 I was busy with working. I don't even think I engaged with it. But it was, it was such a cool picture. And, and, and those, are the, th- those are what makes sports great. And so – 
to see the excitement and my family's excitement. And, you know, Sean McDermott said in a post post game press conference that he had an email waiting for him, that he had a check from Marv Levy email. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. I, I love that too. It wasn't a text. It wasn't a call. It was an email. Gotta love Marv. It'll probably, I get, and I'm not even saying this joking there. I'm sure there'll be a handwritten letter too. Marv is big on the handwritten letters. There'll probably be a handwritten letter sent to him too this week. Um, yeah, it, it is cool because right after the game was over, the first thing my mom called my mom and dad, diehard Bills fans cheering in the background, all excited. So it's great to hear my parents loving this game. Uh, my, my cousin Rich was texting. Uh, my brother was texting. So a, a lot of excited fans, as you should be. It's been a long 25 years. Uh, and, you know, celebrate, go all out, you know, be smart about it, but go all out and enjoy this win. I, I I can't lie. I I really shouldn't say this because I don't want to advocate for you know group gathering, but it is such a bummer to not be able to see the scene that would have probably been there without COVID involved at the airport tonight. Uh, but for if anybody is planning on going, please be safe and you know wear a mask, social distance as much as you can. Um, it's a cool moment, and this has been a fun year. It's only getting more fun by the week. Uh, enjoy your football Sunday tomorrow. And if you missed any part of this, I'm seeing the numbers right now. Thank you so much for joining us live. It's awesome to have the engagement and the conversation uh, here live. Find us on all the audio platforms, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google. Uh, subscribe there, rate and review if you would. And, and then you'll have the podcast uh, at your convenience available on your phone. I, I love listening. I'm a podcast addict. I always got the, the earbuds in, listen to them around the house. Uh, you can download the, uh, our one from Wednesday. We had John Scott on, uh, Anthony Marino, and uh, you're probably not going to need to re- to to listen to the, the the Denver preview unless you want to try to find where maybe we would have been wrong or something. But um, go back and listen to those. There's a lot of cool podcasts we've done. We're coming up on episode 100, Ryan. Um, we are at, I believe tonight is number 90. Uh, so we'll definitely get to number 100 before the end of this season. And it's been an awesome ride. And, and, you know, I, we say it all the time, our appreciation for you guys, but thank you because it's, it's been fun. I mean, it's fun for me. I, I know it's probably been fun for you too, right? Oh, absolutely. And seeing the comments, uh, flying in tonight and after all these wins, it's, it's been great. Uh, you know, obviously I, I we can't, t- I can't type in the comment box to see you guys, but after I'll go back through and I'll read a lot of them, go and like them on Facebook and YouTube and things like that. So thank you for, for following along with us being here live. Uh, as we do that, listening, downloading, subscribing, it, it does mean a, a great deal to us. Enjoy your Saturday night. You are AFC East champions on to next week, as uh, Tredavious White mentioned, and we are going to have all your coverage over at the website, Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com. We've got a ton up right now. There's more to come. Start diving into all these press conferences, and we will see you on Wednesday. We'll put together a big show. Hey, if there's anybody you'd like to have on the show, you know, you know the drill. Always feel free to mention in the comments, DM, Twitter, uh, whatever you want. Uh, we want to put on the show uh, who you want to listen to, and we will be back on Wednesday night. Have a great one, everyone. Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with its TV a day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. Shop Tops.